<clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Ecom Hot Seat. This is the first episode, so it's a brand new launch. This is a podcast designed to bring you interviews from some of the best in class founders that I've had the good fortune of connecting with over the past two to three years in kind of the Ecom space. I am your host, Sufian Asgar. I run an Ecom agency that specializes in helping brands grow with Facebook and Instagram advertising. And today I've got somebody on who I've known for just over a year now, someone who I would consider a friend now. Um, we've been through kind of a little bit of ups and downs and stuff like that. Um, and we've known each other for, for over a year now. So he is the founder of a rapidly growing sunglasses brand called Belvoir & Co. So Deck, thank you for coming on, man. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure. How are you doing? You good? Yeah, good. It's nice to see the sun shining with the beard of sunglass business forwards. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start the timer. So the premise of the show is um, we're going to start a 20-minute timer at the start of every single episode. Once the timer runs out, the conversation has to stop. It is designed to bring you kind of bite-sized nuggets of information from the experiences and insights of these founders that I'm interviewing. Um, so it's not like one of those 90-minute, long, boring podcasts that you have to listen to over the course of a week. I want it to be kind of short and snappy and also give you actionable advice that you can actually implement within your business. So I'm going to go ahead and start the timer now. So that's going. Okay, cool. So my first question for you, Deck, is kind of how did you get started in e-commerce? And when you started, was it even called e-commerce? Was there this whole hype? Uh, and how did you guys actually start your business? Um, it wasn't really a thing back then. Like I, I started sort of diving into it when I was 16. Um, so taking it back quickly, um, I had no GCSEs, couldn't get into college, couldn't get into uni or anything. So I got a full-time job working for Barclays. Um, but because I was only 16 at the time, I was working my way up and then the older generation didn't like being told what to do by someone of such a young age. I thought, so I need to get out. So whilst I worked there, I invested like 600 quid in shisha pens, so made about three grand off that. And then I thought, right then, let's, let's go into tracksuits. Everyone's sort of going into it. Um, biggest fail I've ever done. Um, literally lost all the money. Couldn't sell the tracksuits for toffee, so I ended up just giving them away. And then during this time is when Gymshark sort of started to come about. Because um, we went to school with Ben and Lewis. Um, and then sort of going to their warehouse and that, you, you, you sort of like saw the day-to-day of how it was sort of running and I thought right I need to need to get onto this um, so for 30, started off with £35 um, ordered five watches off Alibaba um, they come and sold them for 70 quid each so just kept reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting the profit um, we didn't even sort we had the name Belvoir um, but we had no logo at the time or anything there was no branding on the watches it was just standard Chinese crap um, like you get the watch and the date wouldn't work, the second hand wouldn't work, but people were buying these because we could take a good photo, we could market it well. And uh, yeah, and then one summer, my brother was like, we need to get these sunglasses. They're a lot cheaper than the watches um, and we can sell them for like 20 quid and we can sell a, a, a lot of quantity. So I think we bought 20 pairs, sold them for 20 pound each and then it sort of spiraled from there. We was getting bigger. We then sort of got connected with footballers and then I'd sort of say one thing that outside of 
sort of wholesale, the one thing that sort of grew the brand is the very first time Neymar wore uh, glasses and then it's sort of spiraled from there really in the footballing world. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. There's a couple of things that I want to unpack there. First of all, we've got kind of a similar story in the sense that you ordered those those watches. I remember I did that with one of my friends in school. Um, he was like 13, 14 at the time. And there was a big hype around G-Shop watches. Yeah, so yeah. we went on to Alibaba and we ordered like these 99% replica Alibaba G-Shocks. Yeah, came with like fake authentication papers, everything. And I was like kind of the product sourcer in that situation. And so my friend who had a lot more kind of friends and connections than I did, both for like where he lived and within the school itself. So he was like the salesman. So like, I remember we, we ordered it and it came after like two weeks. And then within like a couple of days, we'd sold all of them. And there were just loads of people walking around school with white watches on. Yeah. And we made like, I don't know, 350, 500 quid. But unlike yourself, no, I didn't wait. reinvest oh, that. I Unlike you, I didn't reinvest that. I went and... Oh, what's happened? Roll them out of here. Oh, okay. All right, so picking up back where we left off um, before we was rudely interrupted by the Royal Mail guy. But I guess that's what happens when you work with an agency like ours where, you know, you're getting orders coming through through the roof. But um, yeah, so as I was saying, kind of with the story of the G-Shop watches, you know, they came with, as I mentioned, um, you know, fake authentication papers and everything. Um, and, you know, I was kind of the product sourcer in that situation. So I was looking at, you know, same from Alibaba, what, what sort of unit cost could we get? But, you know, when we sold all the watches, we made about four or five hundred pounds each. And yeah. unlike you, I didn't reinvest the money into anything of note. I just went and bought myself a Blackberry Bold. <laughs> I remember at the time I had like the old Blackberry and I was like, listen, I need one, I need one. And my friend came up with this idea and we just ran with it. And then we came up with some profit. But yeah, so there's a couple of things. When we started to make some like, I wouldn't say serious money, but like money we hadn't seen before. Like we were making like a thousand pound a week and I was thinking, wow. Never, never knew what a thousand pound a week. So we was like, me and Marie was like, yeah, like let's go to Dubai, man. So we went <laughs> uh, renting Lambos, and we was like, we was like, do you know what? It's all fun. But at this time, Belvoir wasn't registered as a company. It was still just like a a side hustle where we thought, oh, it's never going to turn into a full time day job because that means like you've got to go legit. You've got to be like a hundred percent committed. Um, but yeah, and then like we had a massive shock, sort of when it comes to sort of tax and, and VAT after that. But like, if anyone starts, like make sure you read upon it before spending the money, like get yourself a good account because that's one thing we never, ever done. Yeah. That's something that I went through myself. Yeah. But I feel like you have to go through it. Like you've got to get that out of your system before you can actually make the responsible decisions. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm glad, I'm glad I went through it because now it's sort of, goes to show like what you can do and what you can't do instead of we was just splashing the money like idiots but you, you're young once so if, if yeah. you, you can't take it with you yeah fair enough fair enough so one of my mentors uh, has a saying yeah that people start their businesses either out of desperation or inspiration so which yeah. one was it for you it kind of sounds more like desperation in the sense that you want to get out of that job and 
and do something yourself. Is that right? I'd say it's a bit of 50-50. Um, I wanted to get out of Barclays, but then um, in the end, it, it, it kind of sort of, the path sort of fell into sort of the right way because in the end, I got fired. And then I went from, I remember I got fired like a week before my birthday. And then I went the whole of summer with no job. I was like working with my dad here and there. Um, and then I didn't get another job until August. So I literally used that summer to sort of focus on like selling the sunglasses. At this point, we wasn't designing them. We were just straight stock on Alibaba, getting our logo printed on and just sort of flipping them. Set, like we'd go through points where we'd sell glasses for like £10 just to get sort of the, the order turnover coming in, get the brand out there, sort of build the following on Instagram because back then there was, don't really know if there was any such thing as Facebook ads. It was more like you'd pay, we used to pay this Instagram account with like 4 million followers, like £70 a post. And I was doing that every day and we'd, we'd gain like 100, 200 followers and we'd probably get like two, three orders from it. And I think, oh yeah, nice. Because back then we was doing like 150, £200 a day, spending the £70 a day. But to me, I was thinking, I'm still working my nine to five. I've got this little thing going on. I can do what I want. So, but then at the same time, I've all, I've always said there's something in, in the water where I live. Um, because obviously Gymshark started, um, Manny Edouard, um, the founder of that, went to school as well. And then uh, Tay Rock watches as well. So there was something like where all people sort of in the age, in the same age gap were doing well and sort of me and brother was thinking we need to get sort of our hands in this pie. So it was it was a bit of both where I wanted to get out of the job but I was inspired by the, the success of others as well. And to this day I still am because they're, do, they're, they're all doing really well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned coming up kind of at the same time as those guys. Um, and a lot of what their brands have in common is a heavy kind of direct-to-consumer strategy versus you guys have quite a heavy wholesale strategy. So yeah. kind of how did you decide to take that path instead and how did that all come about? Um, I think, obviously, say with sort of a Gymshark, their they're clothing, everybody, everybody goes to the gym. Everybody will wear gym clothes, whether they're going to the gym or just lounging at home, whereas sunglasses and sort of normal sort of computer lenses, it's a very, very niche market. People are very specific and nine times out of ten, people want to go into a shop and try them on. They're not like, oh, I can't, I can't buy this just in case I can't return it. And they don't want to go through that aggro. So with the wholesale route, um, we never actually planned it. We didn't sort of go out there fishing for sort of brands and that. It was when we were splashing the cash, living life in Dubai. We was literally taking pictures, putting it on Instagram and tagging that we was in Dubai. And then we got an email from this big company out there saying, we want to fly, fly over to see you because they're based in Kuwait. And we said, oh, uh, okay, what's it about? Because we, we was probably six, six months in, in, in the game then. We was thinking, what the hell is this? I Googled them. They were massive. And, there's, and we said, oh, no, we're on holiday. I said, anything you want to talk about, can you discuss via email? So in the end, uh, emailed him and then sent him over our sort of wholesale pricing. I had no idea how to structure wholesale pricing because I'd never done it before. So I was literally plucking figures out of the air, thinking, right, let's do it, let's do it. Heard nothing for six months. I was driving back from work the one day, had an email, uh, and I remember it to this day. It was a eight and a half thousand pound wholesale order 
Um, and I thought, flipping out. For, for a small company, never heard of, for a big company just to do eight and a half grand like that. And then uh, did that. We sold out on their site within two weeks. And then that 8,000 turns like 25 and then that 25 turns. It's all spiraled and spiraled now where it's like six six figure orders just from that one company as well. We've all, we're wholesaling sort of Egypt, Algeria, Cyprus, Greece. Um, but the one, the one place I do want to get into is USA, but it's very, very hard. You mentioned that, um, you know, the, the size of these orders started to increase and you guys were relatively inexperienced at the time. So yeah. how, how was it knowing that like these guys are coming back for a massive order this time? Were you like scrambling with suppliers? Like we need to get these shipped ASAP. What did that look like? Uh, yeah, but because they've they've changed now on how they do their system, they're more they're more chilled. Like back, whereas before they was like, right, we're paying you this money, we want it in two weeks. I'm thinking, God, you're ordering a thousand sunglasses. I can't get that in two weeks. Um, but back then it was just the standard stock, so it was pretty easy to get it in and out. Um, and back then as well, the quality control was more sort of laid back. If there was a few blemishes on the glasses, they didn't. They didn't really mind. They'd buff them up and still sell them. But whereas these days, it's a lot, a lot, lot harder. Um, but yeah, because back then as well, they'd order, for example, they did a 20 grand order once. And I was like, right, 20 grand, it's probably going to cost me sort of six grand. I was thinking at this time, we don't have six grand. So I was thinking, how am I going to pay that? So I had to negotiate with them to give us 50% up front so we can make a profit. Wow. They did it, and again, I was so surprised because we was a nobody. This is a company that deal with Prada, Armani, Gucci, Dior, and we're a little Belvoir compared to all them. Like all these companies, like is, that's like a tenor to them, whereas that was like everything to us. That could have like crushed our company, but no. Thankfully, we've had a great business relationship over the five years, um, and they are our best sort of customer. And it's it's a sort of a market where we want to hit sort of into buy in Saudi because it's sunny all the time. They've got the money to spend, um, and because we're not the we're not the standard Ray Ban or like the standard Aviator frame. We're different. We're quirky. We we do different colour lenses. So it's it's nice to be in a market where you're out there. Because I went on holiday there and walked into the, the shop where it's wholesaling, and it's so so mad seeing like your own thing that you've created on on a stand in Dubai it's like I don't know how many miles it is but like 10,000 miles away it's just it's just unreal because to this day I don't see it as a big company whereas like people around me like oh you're doing so well I'm like I'm doing so well but I'm still not where I want to be I'm a long long way compared to like Gucci sort of Rayban and all that but we're getting there we're getting there yeah no that's that's I think there's some really valuable info in there for the people listening especially kind of you know you mentioned the negotiations dealing with a company that big and you know I guess kind of having the balls in that situation where you've got a 20k order coming in you probably don't have one coming in from anywhere else but you still go to them and negotiate that we want 50% up front because otherwise we can't service the order I think that's that's pretty cool so you mentioned your designs and you're not like you know your average kind of aviator frame so you started out with quite an expansive uh, sort of range and now you guys are sort of dialing it down into uh, some bestsellers and some some cool new launches. So what does your design process look like? Where do you go for inspiration? Um, For inspiration, really, I look at, 
I look at what I'd want to wear for one because I, I see it as like if I don't if I don't want to wear it, I don't want to design it. Um, but then again, like not all sunglasses that we do design fit my head, but I like the look of them. So um, take inspiration from Louis V, Off White, um, Cartier, all the sort of expensive sort of brands where you have to pay. For example, you have to pay nine hundred and fifty pounds for a Cartier frame, and to me, it's extortionate. Whereas we can put our twists on it, do a similar sort of lens shape, and do varying different colours. And we can charge it for we charge our most expensive sort of frame like a Cartier seventy pound, where it's it's an affordable frame. We used to be a lot cheaper, but over time, material costs go up, the quality's gone up. Whereas before we was using standard sort of alloy materials, whereas now it's sort of 18 karat gold plated. The lens quality, sort of everything's improved. Um, so we have we have to put the price up somewhere, but we'll never be a brand where we're charging sort of two, three hundred pounds. I used to I used to be one of them people that would only buy Prada sunglasses for two hundred, three hundred pounds. But ever since sort of getting into sunglasses business and sort of see that like what our supply can make compared to sort of the quality that's made in sort of Italy. Now it's sort of on par because sort of, as I say, over time, uh, the the materials sort of do develop and it's just it's just working with the supplier as well and what they can and can't sort of produce. But it's, it's, it's it, it, if I was to show you how I do go about it, you, you'd, have, you'd think, how the hell do you get from this drawing to sort of these designs? It's absolutely bonkers. I'll literally take a picture of a black black screen on my phone and do the most B-tech drawing ever. And, I'll <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? And she goes, let me get the designer out there to like draw it. She'll send it back. And then I'll, that's when I'll do a few tweaks in it. We'll get samples made. And then once the sample's done, go ahead, order a few thousand pairs. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting because like it's, it's, I guess in your situation where you are like the creative as well as kind of running the business. So like you probably draw, draw these, uh, as you mentioned, you know, these scrappy drawings, but yeah. like, in your head, you can see it and exactly yeah, how it looks. As if it's in front of me in a 3D yeah. perspective, whereas the drawing doesn't even look like a pair of sunglasses. Because I can't, <laughs> can't um, yeah. sort of back in the day when we first started, it was literally send me a catalogue, send me your prices, and then it was, how many do I order? I'm like, oh, I'll have 20 of these, 20 of this, 20 of that. But sort of now, it, it's not, you can't order 20. You have to order hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <coughs> but that's part and parcel of growing as a business and wanting to sort of get into that creative side because anybody can start a business and sort of get stock off Alibaba and order 10 pieces and sell it for 20 quid. But not many people can grow it to the stage where they can meet the minimum order quantity to sort of do your own sort of custom stuff, which it's took a very, very long time. I'd probably say only in the last sort of year and a half have we sort of been able to do that. Um, and now it's sort of, it has paid off. Yeah, no, that's really, really cool. Because like, when I think about it, like where you guys kind of started from and, and where you guys are at now, you know, the they're worlds apart but one thing i wanted to kind of focus on here is cash flow as a growing brand how did you guys manage that where you're investing you know multiple thousands into uh, stock 
uh, you're dealing with these wholesale orders. How did you guys manage cash flow to be able to, you know, service everything that was going on? We've, we, the only money that's ever been put into Balboa is £35. Everything has literally been reinvested. And, like, I always say, I'm not a businessman. I have no idea about, sort of, the finance side of things, uh, like, back-end stuff, like, the website stuff. Like, I'm only just sort of getting clued up onto that now. All I know is how to, sort of, design and make a product and, sort of, market it with, sort of, the pictures and... Like, like, for example, when, when we do our sort of advertising with the, the spinning of the, like the hands, that's that's Belvoir now because people see that and know it's Belvoir. Um, but in regards to sort of doing the cash flow, it was just being very smart. Like, if we needed, if if we had a load of stock and we needed to, to make sales, I'd put every pair of sunglasses on the website down to a tenner. People see the £10 and then... We, we was making like fifteen hundred pound a day when it was ten pound ten pound a pair. <laughs> um, yeah, we was getting rid of a, a load of sunglasses, but I was thinking the money's coming in, so then I can sort of reinvest that into sort of more stock, better quality styles, and then um, it has it has helped. I'm not gonna lie with the wholesale because they've put a lot of trust in us to put these massive orders in. It's caused a lot of aggro, um, but what business doesn't have it? But I'd, I'd yeah. never, ever look back and think, oh, I wish I'd never done that because at the end of the day, they've helped grow Belvoir out in the Middle East. And then when we sell it on their store, it only diverts them back to our store um, whilst sort of we're, we're replenishing the stock there. So, yeah, cash flow. That's why, that's why the social following has grown in the way it has. Oh, that's our timer. We've hit 20 minutes. So... Unfortunately, or fortunately, we're going to have to wrap it there. Um, there were still quite a few questions that I wanted to get through, but you know, we might have to do a part two in future, um, maybe in a year or six months where you know, Belvoir has grown a significant amount um, further. And I'm sure it will do with you know, the work ethic and the team that you, you've got behind it. Um, you know, you're doing an amazing job. So I just want to thank you. Uh, a, a for your honesty you know on your journey a lot of people wouldn't disclose kind of numbers and stuff like that, that the way you did uh, and B for just you know making this this first episode a little bit easier on me I've never done this before if you heard a crying baby in the background <laughs> sorry that's just part and parcel of life um, if, the, if the questions weren't too good then you know we'll get better over time but yeah I just want to thank you uh, a lot for, for coming on man. yeah no I really appreciate it it's been good We'll definitely, right, we'll definitely do part two in six to 12 months when Balboa's come from here to there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Looking forward it. to that. All right, cool, guys. So whatever platform you're listening to this on, please follow and subscribe. And if you can leave a review or a comment, then please do so. Uh, and if you found it valuable, as I mentioned, subscribe, uh, follow us. All of the links will be below. Uh, and a creaky, cheeky little uh, plug. If you want to apply to work with our agency, where we're servicing brands like Belvoir and countless others, um, then there should be a link in the description below uh, and you can try and set up a time with us and see you know how or if we can even help you um, so that concludes episode one of the ecom hot seat i hope you enjoyed it